Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska, this favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to Thursday. Good morning, my friends. Hello. How are you doing? You ready to rock and roll? Want to say special thanks to our friends over there at Satellite West for sponsoring the program today. As always, Satellite West, doesn't matter where you are. From Nuwatok to Ninana, from <clears throat> Metlakatla to Minchumina, from Delta to Diomede, they've got the technology and tools to keep you connected no matter where you go. And a variety of dealers around the state to help you out, including Radar Alaska down on the Spit, Communications North up in Seward, uh, Alaska Arctic Fire and Safety up in Fairbanks, and more. So go see them, check them out, tell them thank you for sponsoring the program, Satellite West. Good on you. Thank you, my friends, for being part of it. All right. Um, today, we got a jam-packed show, and uh, I have a couple headlines, but uh, I've heard my first guest is already waiting in the wing. So let me just let me just tease you with the headlines. Two interesting things uh, happened. Uh, well, I mean, a couple more than two interesting things, but two interesting things caught my attention. First and foremost, uh, Governor Dunleavy has appointed Tuckerman Babcock to the University of Alaska Board of Regents after... The uh, after the legislature submarined Bethany Markham um, as the uh, as a regent board, um, he is now the uh, he is now the interim uh, uh, board chair, and he will serve until uh, the, his confirmation hearing next spring. So, I mean, that's kind of a nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't like who I put in there because she's conservative. Fine, I'll find somebody else and put him in, and you can't do anything about it until spring when the next confirmation. They serve as an interim until they're confirmed. Uh, so that should be interesting. Good for good for him and good for Tuckerman uh, as far as that goes. The second piece of uh, things uh, news that caught my attention is this article in the ADN, and Mustard actually picked up something about it as well, about the governor's new pro-family advisor, uh, or I guess now former pro-family advisor. He was new, and now he's former, uh, because he had some things to say on a podcast that he hosts uh, that were controversial. Um, and now, I mean, I would say at some point that um, – Things have to be taken in context and everything else, but some of these statements are pretty crazy. I have not listened to the con- I have not listened to the podcast, so I don't have a I don't have a, a a full understanding of everything in here. But some of the things this guy was saying was just a little bit crazy. Um, again, out of context. Maybe in context they made sense, although I would be hard pressed to figure out why. Uh, but he has since resigned, and it was a big to do. He was recently promoted in April to a $110,000 a year job as the policy advisor on pro-family issues for the governor. Interesting. 
<clears throat> I mean, we can dive down into that later if we want to, but uh, <clears throat> his podcast, I mean, it sounds it, it sounds like an interesting discussion, uh, if nothing else, uh, just to hear what, you know, again, to hear everything in context. I kind of like to know well, who is this guy? Uh, anyway, you can go read the article both at Must Read and at uh, the ADN. Meanwhile, um, let's dive into it today. We continue our post-mortem on the budget uh, and the session and the special session and the, the, the vying and the political tug-of-war that's been going on in the legislature. Uh, today, we've got two special guests to talk about it with us. Uh, coming up right now in hour one is Representative uh, Ben Carpenter, who is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee who were tasked with uh, creating a long-term fiscal plan for the uh, for the state. Uh, and that effort ran into a lot of hurdles and roadblocks, I think. Not uh, anything on uh, Rep. Carpenter's, uh, nothing on his side. He was trying to get it through, and there just seems to be a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, and then in hour two, we're going to talk about the same kind of stuff with Representative Sarah Vance who's also the chair uh, of a committee that's holding on to a couple bills that the other side really wants to go somewhere. Uh, so we'll get her full take on that and then what the fate of those bills may be and more. So we're going to go over and uh, I say we just get started. Let's just dive in with both feet, shall we? Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter is down on the peninsula and uh, he says he's got a shaky internet connection, but it looks good to me so far. Let's see what happens here as we uh, go through. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Good morning, Ben. I don't know if Ben can hear me now. Hello, Ben. <laughs> I think you're trying to get my attention, but I cannot hear you. Okay. I've got uh, your audio, your video feed, but your audio feed is not working for me. Okay. Uh, so why don't you... Let's uh, try, uh, let's go to phone. Yeah, let's, we'll just go, we'll just go to the phone. I was going to do Ben Carpenter via the normal video mode, but uh, this is not sounding, uh, this is not sounding good. Um, from there. So Ben's going to disconnect and, uh, apparently his internet is not as, uh, groovy as, uh, as you would like to, uh, as we would like to think. So let me give Ben Carpenter a call here and we'll get him, uh, we'll get him, uh, all ready to rock and roll here on the phone and we'll do it this way. Uh, we'll do it the old fashioned way. I tried to get so fancy, you know, with the simulcast and everything, I tried to get so fancy and it just didn't work out. So. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you, my friend? How was uh, how how is life treating you? I'm I'm doing well. Although I I heard you say that it's Thursday, so I'll take that uh, for gospel. It it's is been busy since coming back from Juno. Yeah, it is Thursday. Uh, I it's, I know it's hard to believe, but it is uh, it's it's Thursday, and that's just uh, that's just how it is. And we haven't had a chance to talk um, since uh, since before the end of the session. So I thought this would be a good time to, like I said, do a little debrief and postmortem on everything uh, to get kind of a feeling of uh, <clears throat> what happened from your perspective, uh, especially um, as chair of the House Ways and Means Committee and uh, your mission to try and create a long-term fiscal plan. Um, let's... Uh, Let's 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 get started. So first, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the last couple of days of the session. Um, you know, kind of give us a, a debrief and 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 AAR on what happened, and then the surprise one day special session that took place. Give us your thoughts on all that. Let's get started. Well, from a really big um, picture view, I think it can best be explained 
as people got more focused in how to get out of Juno than how to do anything that would be related to a long-term fiscal plan. And that, that just, that is just the, the plain fact. We came down to day 120 and, and uh, no budget from the Senate. Um, we were, we were promised early on, earlier on in the session that we were going to have two budgets, a operating budget and a capital budget. And on the 11th hour and 59 minutes, <laughs> we were given a budget that included both of those budgets. And so we had no house conversation about a, a uh, capital budget spend. And that's where you saw the last minute negotiations happening for finding um, agreement on a budget was on what the capital spend was going to be. And um, well, the votes turned out the way they did because of that, because um, of what people could um, finagle for their districts. So I don't, I don't begrudge anybody that the capital spending in the state is important. And um, so is the long-term fiscal plan. And I guess people just need to realize that I am, I have presented a, an alternative to the current long-term fiscal plan. Right. <clears throat> well, it's going to take a lot of, a wait, lot of effort to get that. Wait a second. I mean, the current long-term fiscal plan, are you insinuating that there actually is a long-term fiscal? Because from where I'm sitting, there doesn't appear to be a current long-term fiscal plan other than I guess, then you could say, um, you know, they want to spend. That's pretty much, I mean, that's really, uh, and take the PFD. That's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. It doesn't doesn't appear to be much more of a fiscal plan than that at this point. The only long term fiscal plan we have in play is to use the permanent fund earnings to pay for state government. Yeah, that is the long term fiscal plan in play. That's what some members of the legislature, they can't come right out and say it, but they don't want to have a PFD. They don't want to have a dividend payment. They just want the government to consume all of the permanent fund earnings. That's what their, their long-term plan is. That's when you, when you, <laughs> you know, when I first came to the legislature, that was five years ago, we were talking about just coming off of a statutory dividend, right? Because governor Walker had vetoed a portion of the PFD payment that was going to go out that year. So it was right. no longer statutory. Right. And in the last five years, we've, we've come down from the statutory limit to a 50, 50 to now a 25, 75, and there's nothing stopping it from going from a 25-75 to a 0-100. 100% of it going to pay for state government. And that's where we will be in a matter of years, in a matter of budget cycles, probably three or less. That's where we're going to be. And it all depends on what the price of oil is, what our investment earnings for the permanent fund are, and where inflation is. And all, all of that matters. So I'm, I'm predicting, <laughs> as I look at the numbers and just – what's happening in the world right now i'm predicting that within the next three years maybe five if i'm you know on the outside edge of this that we're not going to have money enough to pay for this size of government the state government with permanent fund earnings and other taxes including oil taxes there will be no pfd because the state will have consumed all of the permanent fund earnings on state government that is coming that will be in governor dunleavy's administration most likely and and will likely happen during the next uh, legislature uh, election cycle. Um, I mean, this is again not surprising, but that I mean, to I guess, 
I guess I was just tripping over the fact that you were considering that a fiscal. I guess lacking of plan is still a plan. Failure to plan is still a plan of some kind. So I guess that's kind of where we're at right now. We're at the failure to plan mode. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and and do do what we uh, do what we need to do. Um, I want to. Well, I would argue. I would argue, Michael, that that when we had sixteen billion dollars in our CBR, and it was okay to just spend all of our savings on the size of government. And I know that we did do some um, significant reductions in capital spending and some statewide and, and the operating budget cuts over those um, since uh, 2013. But the plan has always been to get all of the savings gone in order to get access to the permanent fund earnings, because that is the long-term, like the CBR is not going to be there long-term. It's, it's a savings account, it's low interest, and it's going to be gone when we spend it all. The, the permanent fund earnings is something that continues to generate revenue every year, and we can count on that, right? It's, it's, the, it's the new oil money, if you will, for the state government. So that has been the plan for some people in the legislature for many, many years is to get get us to that point where we're accepting that permanent fund earnings pay for state government. So it's not apathy. It's an actual intentional plan to access the corpus of the fund and to be able to to, to do those things Mm -hmm. and to force us to accept that as the new normal is what you're saying. I don't think access to the corpus is the plan. I think access to the earnings. That's why. That's why uh, um, the POMV model, the percent of market value model, was important because the previous model of drawing earnings from the permanent fund was the 21% of net earnings, and that fluctuated too much. It wasn't reliable for using it as a source of revenue for state government. It is more reliable to draw 5% of the market value um, each year and use that for, for state government, much more reliable. And so that's the reason that we ended up with that that piece of this. So as far as education spending and as far as uh, capital spending, all of that is going to consume the permanent fund earnings because we value in this state, we value spending money on state government, the permanent fund earnings money on state government more than we value spending that money in the private sector. That's, that's what we're saying at the, at the legislature. Right. Well, and, and, and you and I talked about this, that it's no longer about, uh, you know, the left, the right, the have, the have nots. It's more about the difference in, in philosophies now stems more from do you believe in, uh, you know, smaller, more limited government or do you believe that the public sector spend is sacrosanct above all else? And we're kind of seeing that play out right now, right, in all these ways. We are, we are, we are seeing a very socialistic government at play. We take this really down to the foundation of you know what we care about. Conservatives care about this permanent fund. We care about our private sector economy, but we have a resource state and our resources are socialistically owned by the state. That is a disincentive for private industry to invest in resource development because they can't buy land and then own the mineral rights. They can't buy right. land. They have to they have to work with the with the state government who owns the the true wealth of that that resource that the right. that the land that they've purchased right and so that's a disincentive for private industry to develop resources in the state right because they, they don't they don't get to own the land or the middle middle rights that go with it so so we've got this construct that we've developed that that the people own the mineral rights they own the true wealth there and and now we get to 
put a portion of that into the permanent fund. And what's that? What's the purpose of that for? Well, we're making a decision in the legislature that the purpose of that permanent fund earnings is to spend it on government. Right. Well, Hammond made a comment. Before, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say before and with Hammond's plan, he recognized that there was value in spending some of that in on the private sector. And, and I think it was Milton Friedman who said, you know, the best thing to do with half of that permanent fund earnings would be to, to throw it out of, out of an airplane. Throw those right. dollars out of the airplane. Yeah, let, let get them into the hands of the people as as quickly as possible. Yeah, Hammond said something about it being the ultimate expression of capitalism because we're they were being compensated for the loss of their mineral rights, and uh, you know because you have a, you have a quasi socialistic constitution that that takes all the mineral rights and holds them collectively, and he said this then became the ultimate expression of capitalism spreading the uh, the compensation essentially for the loss of those mineral rights. So. Uh, all right, well, we're going to continue here. Uh, ben Carpenter is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. We got more coming up. Uh, we're going to continue talking with him about the very end of the session, uh, what the future of this long-term fiscal plan looks like, and then we'll finish up on what he sees coming up in how things are going to be handled in the next half of the session. We will be back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break with Ben Carpenter right now, uh, going over all the details and uh, and everything else uh, of what happened. It... Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess maybe I was a little too poly uh, Pollyanna-ish uh, there, Ben, when I thought that they were just that it was more benign neglect than anything. Well, not benign, but neglect that was the plan instead of no, no, this thing has been kind of gamed out from the very beginning to get full access to the earnings reserve and to basically anesthetize the people to the PFD spending being used to fund government. Um, I didn't realize that maybe it was quite that insidious. But I think for a uh, smaller number of people, that is the goal. Um, I don't think for the majority that that is the goal. There there are plenty of Democrats that I spoke to in the House, um, and some independents, but mostly Democrats, that do value the PFD. And I don't believe their goal is to see the PFD go away. But I do believe, and it doesn't have anything to do with political party, it ha- and I, I've got names in, in my mind. I'm seeing flashes of pictures of faces going across my head that are completely okay with taking the permanent fund dividend away from the people in order to spend on government. And it really boils down to a lack of vision. You don't see that private sector growth is possible, or, or maybe you don't even want it because you live in southeast Alaska and you like to have a national park to live in. Um, for example, uh, you don't want to see any other sort of thing other than pay for state government with this, with the permanent fund earnings, and then that's it. No new taxes. You just live off of the earnings, and and you grow the government at the size of the earnings of the permanent fund. That that is a plan for some well, people. Well, there's a problem with that plan, Ben, and the problem is growing government at the size of the permanent fund. Um, 
I don't think it'll work because I don't think they'll be able to control themselves. I mean, they have shown absolutely no inclination to slowing the growth of the size of government. I mean, government by its very in, in just in and of itself increases by what, $150 million, maybe $200 million a year, every year. Um, just yeah, we, if, if nothing had, changes, I mean, that's what goes on. So we had a seven, we had a 7% increase in operational budget this year. Automatic increase. Operational spending. Was that, was that just, I mean, just, or was that including, uh, bills and, and things that were added? That's the, that's the total spend increase from the previous year's budget and okay. just the just the operating budget. Yeah. But I'm saying even if nothing else happened and we all got locked in a, you know, we all got trapped in amber and the state government just kept ticking along just by the nature of the commitments that we've made, it goes up by $150 million a year. So this idea that somehow, you know, they'll hit this magical number and they'll have taken all of the permanent fund that they'll somehow be able to live uh, within their means at the 5% draw. I, that's where the danger to me of the corpus comes in because eventually they'll be like, well, 5% is not enough. We need five and a half or six or maybe six and a half. And all of a sudden now you're really eating into the seed corn and creating some real trickle down problems because they have not shown any appetite for cutting back on the, uh, um, cutting back on the size and scope or the spending at all. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. You're absolutely right. And, um, I have been saying in this legislative session that if you if you want to see a PFD continue, then we need to institute a long-term fiscal plan that includes a spending limit, a new source of revenue, and a solution to the PFD problem. Our decision that is before us in the next couple of years is do you want to limit the size of your government through cuts only? And I think the will of the legislature right now is no. So barring that, then you have to say, if we want to continue the PFD, then you're going to need to um, institute a new source of revenue in order to keep that PFD. Otherwise, uh, you're going to end up with no no PFD and a tax later on. Yeah. Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, we're going to continue here, rejoining the radio here in about 20 seconds. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page. Um, if you haven't shared it in a while, I know many of you share every day, and I appreciate that. But if you would share it this morning on whatever platform you're on, Twitch or YouTube or Facebook, please do so. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Duke's. And we're continuing with Representative Ben Carpenter. Talking with him about the state of the state, what took place at the end of the legislative session, the long-term fiscal plan, and more. Ben, I want to go back and revisit here because uh, you, you kind of went over it, but I, I want to, you know, people here in the chat room, listeners to the show, I've gotten a lot of emails and comments since the end of the special session. Um, I mean, they're upset. They're upset about what went down, the fact that it was only, you know, a, a day that there was in their minds, uh, you know, capitulation um, on this. And, you know, you gave some reasons why it was. So, But I want you to talk us back off the ledge, so to speak. If you're talking to a group of people who are just mad as hell and not going to take it anymore, 
based on what happened on that final one day special session. Um, I want you to, you know, tell us, you know, explain to us in your own words how how you in your own mind can kind of, um, you know, live with that. What is it going on? You know, why did it happen? And what does it mean moving forward? Because I guess I should set the stage for just a second before I let you go to town on this. Because for me, I understand a lot of the arguments that I've heard from various legislators who vote for voted for the concurrence. Um, but for me, it was a matter of um, protecting the process. Even if we had gone to conference committee and all these things had, uh, um, you know, all these things had happened, blah, blah, blah. Even if it had been a worse budget when it was all said and done, at least we would have defended the process because we would have had a conference committee where both sides had their say and could. And instead, the what I saw in a lot of ways is capitulation has set a precedent. And we've seen what's happened in this legislature in the past five, six, seven years with these kind of precedents being set. They get used over and over and over again. And so my fear is that the process has been damaged more. I'm not forget. Put the budget aside. But the process has been damaged. That's my main fear. But can you, again, for the average listener out there who's just agitated and mad, give us in your mind, you know, uh, your thoughts on why this is not, I mean, maybe not okay, but the justifications and how you can, you know, live with uh, the outcome that your fellow uh, legislators put together here. Well, um, Michael, I guess the way that I would respond to that first off is to say that um, following the results of the election, um, this last election and the uh, formation of the organization in the House um, in January, um, it was very clear to me that, and then this is where my expectations based on my experience in the legislature, it was very clear to me that we were going to struggle with finding any sort of agreement that I was going to be happy with on the budget. If you take, for example, um, not all Republicans agree on what the budget should be, and we wrap your head around that and just realize that we've got a battle within just the just with the Republican Party um, philosophy within the within the House, let alone the Senate. That's another matter altogether. But just within the House, we don't all agree. And we don't have 21 Republicans in our majority in the House. We had to bring in some Democrats and, and right. quasi-independent, but I, I consider him a Democrat, right. into the into the fold to make that majority. So my expectations from the very beginning was that it was going to be a struggle to find some agreement on anything, let alone something that I would like. And as I talked about this fiscal plan from the very beginning, I said, there's a 1% chance that we're going to be able to pass any of this this, this uh, session let alone um, a budget that we're going to like. So, uh, I mean, we, we're looking at a, a socialist makeup of a state, right? That's really what our, our, our founding document gives us, a socialist, uh, very socialistic type of um, state government. And we fiscal conservatives are struggling against that every single legislature to, to bring some sanity, you know? Um, your comments about the structure of the process are very, very apropos. If we can't agree as a people and as legislators to use a something as basic as um, the golden rule as a moral foundation, or but as, a, as just as a foundation on how we're going to treat people and treat the processes that are 
treating those people, right? So if we're not going to use the golden rule, then we've got a problem because some of us live by the golden rule. We, we think that's to our core what's important to us and others don't and they will manipulate in order to get what they want. And that's where we're at is some people are just more comfortable with manipulation to get their way than they are having a, a, a true leadership discussion and finding compromise. There was no compromising with the Senate this year. No. Period. No. Zero. None. Full stop. No compromise. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. Full stop. There's there there wasn't even two parties at the table willing to compromise with each other. Until you break the will of of both of those parties and, and bring them to the table and they both recognize value in the other team, in the other uh, opponent, and they're willing because they, they have to compromise from their position, then you're not going to have compromise. And that's where we found in this session. And um, I don't I don't see anything different in the next session. I don't see anything different. What Senate has proven and the House has proven that we don't need to compromise. We just need to take it down to day 121 and we'll they'll get what they want. Well, that that kind of leads me again to my next question. You know, I mean, has the has the House majority learned a lesson in this? Uh, I mean, is this going to be a case of monkey see, monkey do now that the House doesn't turn over their budget to the last six hours to the Senate? Or we've seen in the past when the House is delayed, the Senate just makes up their own and then just puts a committee substitute in when it's all said and done. I mean, where what is the... You know what? It, what is the maneuver here? What is the tactic uh, at this point? If they are going to continue to try and roll the clock down and use time compression as a weapon, what uh, you know? What does this next session look like? I mean, is this battling? Is this a battle of the wills to the very end, and nothing happens until day one hundred and twenty-one? Well, there's a remote chance that things could change for this next legislature, and it has everything to do, in my mind, with what the governor does next. The budget is not complete. Um, last I last I understood that it had not been transmitted to the governor, but maybe it has already. He has 20 days once he receives the budget to decide what vetoes he wants to offer. And my recommendation to him would be to pare this budget down. If if we're going to take about $800 million out of the permanent fund to pay for state government, then I would find $800 million worth of money in this in the budget and i would remove it and then we can have a conversation in october about a long-term fiscal plan because and and we would have a a better starting place for the budget discussion next year because then the governor's actions at the end of that budget cycle would would mean something they would know that the government that the budget is not over on day 121 the budget is actually over when the governor signs right. the law right so you, we have an opportunity here but i i don't know what the governor is going to do do you think the governor has a veto proof majority i mean 800 million dollars is quite a bit i mean we saw what happened back when he put out the quote unquote apocalyptic budget and the hue and cry and the recall and I mean everything I mean just everything else dogs and cats living together mass hysteria kind of thing um does he have a veto proof majority that would support him in that I mean obviously the senate is all about passing this budget this is their baby 
they're going to vote to override the vetoes. What about the House? Yeah, well, I guess the easy answer to that would be, and my intuition would say no, <laughs> that he doesn't have veto proof for 800 million. Does he have for 400? What if we took a quarter of that, 200 million? What what dollar figure would be sufficient right. to prove prove that the governor and the House members need to be taken seriously next session at the beginning of the session and, and start negotiating? Right. That's really what is at stake here. It's not the size of the dollar figure. It's the fact that you don't have two parties in the legislature that are negotiating with each other. It, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been wondering what the governor is going to do, what he's going to say. It's been radio silence from the mansion, and I'm just wondering what's happening here. Um, because again, at a, at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, you've got a lot of ads that the Senate put in, right. They they line up they line up pretty nicely with the the amendments that were attempted to be added to the budget on the house side by by the uh, minority. So at a bare minimum, I would think those would be candidates. Those programs would be candidates for for veto. Right. Well, so, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I guess I don't know if the governor has anybody listening to the show or anything else. But uh, governor, if you're listening, please. Uh, you know, the red pen is the answer to some of this uh, problems. You've got you've got a billion dollars of um, inflation proofing that's taking money out of the earnings reserve account and putting it into the corpus of the fund that isn't necessary because we right. are um, drawing with a five percent market value that's automatically inflation proofs over time. Right. So um, w that's another dollar figure that we don't need to have um, put into the corpus. And we may need it. We, we may not have enough money in the earnings reserve account in next year or the year after that, depending on what our um, stock or our investment earnings do, to actually pay a, a full 5% market value draw. And that's where it so, accesses the corpus. See, that's the problem. That's the problem is that the 5% market value can draw beyond what the earnings reserve holds. And that's my fear. Uh, and in fact, I think that's a, an intent of this $1 billion transfer is to deplete more of that uh, to make it more desperate times, right? To create the crisis so itself. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure you would have a you would have a crisis at that point because I don't I don't think that the the permanent fund corporation is obligated to pay a market value draw or a 21% of net earnings number from the corpus. If there's no money out of earnings to pay a market value draw, then they just don't pay it. There just wouldn't be any money there. I don't think that the corp, the um, the Constitution would allow the the legislature or the corporation to actually get into the corpus to pay that five percent of market value draw. But now you're depending on a judiciary who has been very, very hesitant to support any kind of fiscal conservancy and basically just allows the legislature to do what they want to do. So. I it's we're treading on dangerous yeah. waters, my friend. This Dangerous waters. This is why I say that we have we have a structural imbalance. We have a structural problem in the state that's financially um, related, and we need to come together and find a fiscal solution that includes tying our private sector economy, which is the economic engine of our state, to what the legislature does. Because nothing in the conversation that you and I just had has anything to do with the size of our economy. Uh, ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment dead ahead. Sarah Vance coming up in hour two. 
in the next segment, we're going to tackle the fiscal plan itself and get a status updates on what's happening there with Ben Carpenter. We'll be back right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Ben Carpenter's our guest. Uh, let me uh, go through some of the things that the people are saying in the chat room. Dunleavy needs to play hardball. Yes, I agree with that. Um, uh, Barbara says, Michael, you're right about the POMV. It does allow access to the corpus. I mean, I think I'm, I understand what Ben's saying here. There is a legal question as to whether or not they would be able to do that. And that would be a fight. The problem is it would then be in front of the Alaska court system, which has basically shown before it has a complete indifference to the will of the people and will basically give the legislature a free pass on whatever they want as far as breaking the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, Ben, that's what I was trying to say there at the end, that this is, you know, that this would become a legal battle that uh, that nobody that nobody is going to want. To, I mean, that we will probably not like the outcome of is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I would agree. We've got some unfunded liabilities in our, our um, retirement systems. And should we run into a situation where um, – uh, we don't have enough money to pay the the annual payment to the to the retirement systems. Um, I believe the courts would say that that the state will have to use because the constitution says that the um, retirement um, systems won't yeah. be diminished. Right. Yep. They they won't be diminished. So the permanent fund earnings, uh, permanent fund corpus is going to be on the hook to fund those other investments that have a constitutional tie to them. There is a constitutional tie to the permanent fund itself that prevents the legislature from getting into it. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that the, it's the best guess. <laughs> it's everybody's best guess as to what the Supreme Court would say in regards to whether the legislature can pay operating expenses from the corpus in a situation where we don't have enough revenue. If the power of the purse is with the legislature, then it does not um, surprise me. It will, would not surprise me that the courts come back and say, you know what, the state has to pay its bills. And if it's got 60, 70, 80, $100 billion sitting in an account somewhere, then it has to, it has to use that money to pay its bills. And you better come up with a better system, um, a better self-discipline on, on what bills you need to pay if you don't want to have to t dip into that savings account. That's in my mind. That's where I think the legis the um, the Supreme Court would go. Yeah. Well, and again, I'm very concerned about that. And this has been my this has been my fear from the very beginning. I mean, I started talking about this 20 plus years ago, Ben, as I started to learn more about how the permanent fund works and the dividend and the earnings and the corpus and the um, you know all the splits and everything else. My fear was that the ultimate goal was setting their sights on that at that time. I think 50 billion, 51 billion dollar permanent fund, uh, whatever it was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And, uh, and I thought, boy, that's just a big juicy pot of money that they can't wait to get their hands on to be able to use to spend for government. 
Uh, and as I've grown and come to understood it and, and talk more with people like Rob Myers, who makes the point about the disconnect between the public and the private sector, not being accountable to the uh, to the uh, private sector, uh, what's happening in the economy uh, to be able to continue to keep the size and growth of government going. I've come to learn, I mean, as you just said, that there is a plan to basically make sure that that disconnect remains permanent. And that is terrifying to me. Uh, this is, this is, this is insane. Well, I guess the way I would look at it is, um, us living in Alaska are, we're kind of living in a, a fairy tale world compared to other states in the union. Other states don't have a permanent fund. They don't have that socialistic type of mechanism where they've got some some free money, if you will, that's coming to them other than federal federal dollars. So our thought process has been colored by that over the years, both from a from a private sector, private individual perspective of expectation of a permanent fund dividend, because we own the resource wealth. It's it's a very socialistic mindset. Other states have a capitalistic and free market thinking because they have to. That's where their revenue from the state government comes from right. outside of federal dollars they is from the economy. Yeah, they have to protect the private economy because that's the engine they, that drives the state. That's that's exactly it, it. It provides food for people and their families, and it provides revenue to state government. And so there's a a consciousness within the legislature of each one of those states that realizes we have to have this economic engine in order to, to sustain ourselves. That mentality does not exist in the Alaska state legislature. We are not focused on that. It's uh, well, no. And some of them are some of the worst part is, is that some of them know about it and are intentionally drifting the ship in that direction. That's the worst part of this whole deal. Uh, for sure. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the fiscal plan um, and we'll, uh, Get that continued on here. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Ben Carpenter is our guest. We will continue. Please like it, share, like it, follow, and uh, let's uh, let's go on here. Okay. We're continuing our discussion right now with Representative Ben Carpenter from down on the peninsula. As chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, he was tasked early on by the majority in the House to create a long-term fiscal plan to create and put all the pieces together. Unfortunately, we've got some specific rules in the legislature that doesn't allow an omnibus bill to be created where you could put all the parts and pieces into one bill and debate it in its entirety. Instead, we have to piecemeal it out. And there is a lot of danger to that. As we saw earlier with this spending cap piece that was coming out to begin with, uh, all by itself, and at the last minute, an amendment was thrown that would have basically neutered the entire reasoning behind the spending cap. Uh, so that leaves the question, what is the status of the long-term fiscal plan? And the, the plan's framework 
was the recommendation of the fiscal policy working group from 2019 uh, where they basically sat down and, and came up with a plan that had seven or eight components that said you have to do all of these things together to fix the plan. You can't do it piecemeal. You can't do onesies. You can't choose one thing. It's got to be all of it, and that included a spending cap, uh, you know, fixing the PFD, a new revenue source, uh, new oil taxes. Uh, there was a handful of things, and they all had to be done together. So, Representative Carpenter, now that we've seen the end game here for this half of the session, where does this leave us in the? Where does this leave us in the in this coming year with a long term fiscal plan? What is the status, uh, especially I guess after we saw what happened with the spending cap bill? What where do we go from here? Well, if we want to continue growing our agency operations, and and that's what I spoke about earlier. Um, I said uh, operating budget, but that's not what I meant. Our agency operations um, is is up. So we spent 4.2 billion on our agency oper operations last budget, and we're now at uh, just under 4.5 billion this year. So if we want to continue growing the size of government, then we are going to have to find out where to pay for it. And it's either going to come from new taxes or it's going to come from permanent fund earnings because those are the only two sources that that of money that are going to be money that we can use. If you don't increase um, revenue, then it's going to come from the permanent fund, and that's the permanent fund earnings, and that's that's where we're at. So, if we're going to see the governor reduce the size of this budget, then we have the will to reduce spending, at least from the governor's perspective. If the governor calls us back in a special session in October, after having reduced the size of the budget then we have the groundwork for a fiscal plan because there's there's hope that we can find some kind of fiscal stability with the with the governor's help right if we just have the size of budget that we have right now and we go into a, uh, some sort of special session in october we don't have any sort of will or conversation about long-term fiscal plan there's no there's no need to show up in Juno because it'll be a waste of our time. Right, because there's no leverage, so right? We, because there's no leverage on having the, you know, the budget process. That's what it's all about at this point. There's no leverage and there's no indication that things will change next year with regard to um, threats or or potentialities of of reductions in spending, right? So it really is key. It it is really key that the governor step up with this with this conversation and help um, stabilize our spending by reducing the size of the budget and calling us back into session in October to have a a conversation about how to stabilize this this fiscal problem that we have that's really key if we can't if we can't do both of those pieces then we're not likely to see success in October just just with a the size of budget now because you're you're not sending a message to people that that what that what certain people in the legislature and the governor say matter, right? The veto of some of the spending in this budget indicates to others that they have to take that um, that opinion into into consideration when they come to talk about a long-term fiscal plan. Otherwise, the long-term fiscal plan can can be we'll just use the permanent fund earnings until we need more, right. and then we'll just institute a a a, a, a tax of some sort probably a income tax because that's what we had last and that's what the left wants so 
we'll just institute a tax and that's our that's our long-term plan we'll, we'll just keep the, taxing they said the quiet part out loud that's what they said when they said well we have a long-term plan the 75 25 that's it i mean that is their that's that it. is the entirety of their long-term plan basically taking the dividend and using it to fund government and it won't just and be 75 25 and that and their own model shows that only works for a few years and then you're running a deficit again because you're not addressing the issue which is the continual growth of government you don't have enough money in the permanent fund earnings to pay for the growth of government and so you will end up with a tax anyway it just is prolonging it right so then you've got no money from the permanent fund earnings coming to the private sector right the the right now you've got 800 and $81 million coming from the permanent fund earnings through permanent fund dividends into the private sector. And they would take that away. They would say it is better to spend that $800 million on state government than it is at small business in Alaska. Right. Um, so we don't, we don't think that's the best use of the permanent fund earnings. We're, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if you would, would split this fairly 50, 50 and spend some of it on your private sector and, and tie that private sector back to the state government through some sort of taxation that it would benefit both small business and state government in the long run. Right. Because and it would that's, create, that's where we need to be. Well, because it creates the tie. And again, I'm no fan of taxes, but even from an, from an abstract viewpoint, you can see it. It creates that tie between the private economy and the government, which they don't, they no longer have. Unlike every other state in the nation, they no longer have that tie. You have to create it so that they have to care about what happens. Otherwise, they lose revenue. That, that's exactly it. It is a very socialistic, or, or I don't know, you could put another label on it, to think that the people can just exist in their society, their government, their, their state, without having to pay any taxes. Well, we that, are. That is nonsense. We are paying taxes, but <laughs> it's you know, it's a it's a hidden tax, right? I mean, the, the stealth tax. That's exactly we, it. Yeah. Yep. And to think that you're going to give up the PFD, or or it's not the benevolent government is not going to give you your PFD because they can't afford it anymore, and you're not going to end up paying taxes in some other manner, you are lying to yourself. Right. That is going to happen. We, this is, again, a very short-term fix. In three years, four years, however long it is, when the permanent fund is completely absorbed, the dividend is completely absorbed by state spending, then they'll come back to you. Like I said before, uh, I don't trust them to live off that 5%. They'll come back to you hat in hand and say, well, we really need more money. And so it will be the loss of the PFD and then taxes anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. So if we've got it. If we've got a 25-70, another way to look at this is if you've got a 25-75 split and the 25% right now that's coming to dividends is $800 million, that means there's a second 25% that was taken away from the 50-50 split, a second $800 million chunk that is being spent on state government right now. Right. right? So that $800 million is the tax that Alaskans are paying to pay for the state government this year. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's your, that's your tax. Yeah. Just think about it. $3,000 for every man, woman, and child in your household is being taxed right now. Do you don't feel because that money, because you weren't able to spend it, you didn't go down and buy heating oil. You did go buy groceries or you didn't buy whatever it is that you were going to go buy with that portion of that $800 million. That means your private economy, your local economy didn't get the benefit of you spending that money in, in your local economy. The state government got the benefit 100%. Right. So state workers are going to have paychecks and they're going to be able to spend. 
state programs are going to have the money and they're going to be able to spend. But your local mom and pop business, your small, your small business that's the lifeblood of our state, lifeblood of our nation, doesn't get that benefit. Ben Carpenter has been our guest today. Uh, just a ray of sunshine, Ben. Uh, it, uh, I mean, the truth hurts, but this is where we're at right now. I can't wait to see what, uh, well, I can't wait to see what the governor does, and I can't wait to see what January brings. Ben Carpenter, thank you so much for coming on board and uh, and be a part of it. I appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. Coming up next, Representative Sarah Vance will be joining us to discuss the same topics. We're just doing the debrief, the post-mortem on what happened during the session. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right. Um, some people are screaming in the chat room about how dare you, how dare you uh, talk about taxes? How dare you talk about the oil companies are giving it away? And I mean, they obviously have not read anything or paid attention to any of this discussion because new oil taxes are part of it as long as well as some kind of other sales tax or other kind of revenue generation from the people. So, I mean, there's there's parts and pieces to all this, but I mean, people can just scream into the wind all they want, I guess. But Ben, I want to give you the final thoughts here uh, before I let you go for this morning on, you know, what we're going to be seeing, maybe what we can do, you know, what what should we be watching for, et cetera. Yeah, I, I know that there's at least one person that's screaming about needing new oil taxes on your on your chat. Sure. So I'm, I'm sure. not sure that the people really agree that oil no. taxes is the way to solve the problem. Yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> so I, don't, yeah, I, I would don't just think... say that it's it's very easy to criticize, right? That is, I come from a, a long line of criticizers. So the harder the harder thing to do is to present solutions and and uh, ways to move forward, right? So I've presented through the Ways and Means. Um, committee, five bills, right, that you could modify if you need to, but five avenues, five vehicles to move the state forward in a different direction that would stabilize the structure, stabilize the, the budget process that we have, right? Take the PFD payment out of the budget process, and then you don't have to fight over it every year. It just is revenue to the state. Create a broad-based, low-tax that everybody pays a little bit. Remember, you're already paying $3,000 a month, whatever, I'm sorry, a month. You're already paying whatever portion of the PFD is taken away from you. So give that back to you and then pay a little bit in a tax, right? So I've presented some solutions. I'm presenting some criticism. You're, you're right, it's a, it's a negative conversation, but I am not presenting just the negative piece of it and letting somebody else solve it. I'm presenting the, the problem as I see it and here are some solutions that I think would would put us in a better position. So if there are better better options out there that don't involve additional taxes, then somebody step forward. But somebody has to pay for state government. <laughs> At the end of the day, somebody right. does. And if you're going to continue to tap business for your paying for your government, then don't be surprised when people don't want to bring business to the state of Alaska. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be shocked. <laughs> Don't be shocked. Uh, ben Carpenter, um, I I couldn't agree more. I'm hoping you haven't had any conversations. There's no indication what the governor is going to be doing here. Um, no, I am not sure what he's going to do. 
I wish, uh, I really wish we had more communication from this administration. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for uh, coming on board and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to, uh, talking to you again soon. Um, I guess we'll see what the next 20 days or so will bring. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much. I appreciate you being part of it today. Thanks for coming on board. Ben Carpenter, our guest here uh, on the Michael Duke show. Um, what a hot freaking mess, man. Hot freaking mess. That's exactly what, that's exactly what we're, uh, we're dealing with right now. Okay. Well, we're finishing up today for our, uh, again, kind of the after action review, the postmortem, the debrief on what took place in the legislature. Let's, um, let's go talk to a ray of sunshine, shall we? A ray of sunshine. Uh, little Miss Susie Sunshine, we call her around here. Uh, Representative Sarah Vance joins us uh, here as we're getting ready to rejoin the radio here in a minute. But let's say hi before we uh, before we get in there. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, are you all sunshine? What's the weather like down there? I'm just curious. Uh, the, you know, I see some blue sky out my window I right just, now. You looked up and I saw the blue in your glasses and I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, trying. it's trying. It's trying. Well, I have my patio furniture out there. I'm trying. I'm like, bring it on. I'm ready for some. Bring it on. Well, do it all. I'm going to be down there this afternoon. So just make sure you make it nice for me before I get there. Okay. I got to, got to get stuff. It has to be nice for me. That's all I'm asking. So session's over. Um, Big sigh, heavy relief, uh, frustration. Uh, did you kick the cat when you got home? I mean, I just want to know what's, what's, what's going on. You know, what, 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 what are your thoughts here? I got 60 seconds to give me a thumbnail before we jump in. You know, I am craving order. I've been in such a world of chaos that I'm purging my house. I'm like, I will bring order to my life one way or another. And so I'm just, I'm just tossing stuff. Right. Right. I opened up the garage. I'm like, it's going to go. She's looking at Uh, it and says, does this bring me joy? No. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> she went all Maria Kondo on us. It's just like, I, does this bring me? No. And she's, she's got a burn pile out front. She's burning it all. It's going to be. That's good. I mean, I know there's sometimes you just like there's something in my life. If I feel like I need to take control of something, that's a good way to do it. Cleaning. I don't like you. I don't like I like you. I'll put you up there. You can't tell me what to do. You know, sorry. That's all the voices in my head, not yours. Um, All right. Um, Well, Sarah Vance is uh, with us here and we're going to jump into this here in just a moment. And uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where this all goes. I mean, this this whole thing has been such a hot steaming pile uh, from the very beginning, and the end of it was not disappointing as far as that goes. Hey, Fiesta wear. Uh, let's uh, continue on here. The Michael Duke Show. Sarah Vance is our guest. We're going to jump back into it here and get ready to go. Folks, please like and share, like and follow, uh, do all the youtube things, subscribe, ring the bell. You know the You know the drill. And uh, let's get it. Uh, let's get it all going on. All right. Uh, here we go. Let's do it. I'm ready. I think. No promises. Copper Sands, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio.
Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find everything to do with the show, the Common Sense Core, the podcast, the simulcast for the social media sites, and everything else. And also, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, my friends. It is Thursday. Ooh, can't believe it. I love a four-day work week. I would love a three-day work week even more. I would love a one-day work week the best. That would be it. If I could get all my work, I would work 15 hours. I already worked 15 hours. I would work 20 hours in a single day if I could make that happen. That would be fantastic. Anyway, back to reality. Let's uh, continue on our discussions now. We just finished up with Representative Ben Carpenter who's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. We talked about the end of the session. We talked about the special session. We talked about the fate of the long-term fiscal plan. It was all very depressing, but important information. That's what I do. I bring important but depressing information every day. That's what. That's my job. Uh, no suicidal tendencies here. We're going to be jumping into it, though, and getting a little bit of uh, sunshine in our lives with uh, that uh, ray of hope and uh, and cheer uh, from the down on down in Homer, down the lower peninsula, it is Representative Sarah Vance who joins us this morning to discuss all these things and and all by all these things I mean the full post mortem on what happened during this absolute poo parade that was the legislative session. Uh, Sarah Vance joins us this morning. Hello, how are you this morning? How are you doing? I'm doing well. You're doing you're doing well. Um, I mean, am I wrong in describing it that way? I mean, it was an absolutely brown mess by the time we got all said and done. I mean, the last few seconds, I mean, you and I haven't talked, I don't think, since the since the whole thing went down. Um, you know, you're waiting till the final hour, six hours before they six hours and 26 minutes or before that. No, it was less than that because it was 626 when you got it. So five and a half hours from the end of the actual session. They drop the budget on your desk, take it or leave it. They walk away, wash their hands of it. Um, you know, uh, ultimately, it's a no. Goes to special session. There's some surprise. There's some surprise in less than 24 hours. A bunch of concurrence that didn't happen because some money changed hands in the form of capital projects and some other stuff. So, Sarah, um, give me a recap as you were sitting on the benches watching the whole team out there do their thing, getting crushed uh tell me about the 40 member advisory committee that you serve on and uh how it is now the process has been so badly abrogated that you guys can't even fulfill your constitutional duties anymore what what what's going on here give, give me the give me the lowdown. well it, some of us are questioning you know if 
if it's worth coming back because apparently the House is the advisory committee right? to the Senate. I mean, that was a right? meme. That was what I was laughing about. That was an actual meme that came out like, oh, look, we've become a 40-member advisory committee now. And then the next day, they made it true. They made it true by allowing the abrogation of the process and giving in and capitulating. I mean, you you don't negotiate with terrorists. Okay? I'm just saying that. There's a reason why we don't do that. Exactly. And and one of the things that I thought of during that time, you know, I had people texting me, "Hey, are you going to vote for the budget? Are you going to are you going to agree with you know, what they're offering. And I said, you know, I, I was that child who would sit there at the table all day long and would rather take a beating than eat something I didn't like. So I was ready to go to the mats with uh, the Senate and say, no, there's a process. And it's insulting to Alaskans when you do not let the house of representatives, the people's house engage fully in the budget. And, um, I was on the losing side of that. Uh, did I think it would provide a better outcome? No, nope. No. I've seen it. Uh, the Senate always makes the pain worse, and I think the House just decided let's just let's just end it now. Yeah, well, and that's what I said. I said, you know, do I think because we could already see? I mean, the Senate went to the unusual measure of actually actually naming their conference committee members in the budget before it was all done. They announced who it was going to be. They already knew it. We already knew based on what was going on in the House because of the coalition component of it that it was probably going to be four to two in a conference committee uh, as far as anti-PFD sentiment. And so would a conference committee been better? Probably not. It may have ended up with an actual worse bill. But the prob- But the thing is, you would have defended the actual process. That's why I'm so upset about this. I understand some of the arguments for why some of our representatives – voted for this. My own representative voted for it. He came on the program yesterday and described it and talked about it. And I still disagree with him. I, it would have been better to stick a finger in the eye of the other side, to even take your licks and have a worse budget than what you got, to lose some projects, to be able to defend the process. Because now you've set precedent. And we've already seen what's happened when you've set precedent in the past. Yes. And and. Precedent was a word that I learned early on as a freshman. The power of that word is incredible. And it's even in our um, our Mason's manual that says that if parliamentary um, precedent is continued long enough, it becomes law. It becomes the it rule. Does. It is. It is. The, it is as if it is an actual law. That's what precedent's all about. I mean, the House is the legislature is based on uniform rules. And traditions and the traditions, they can be changed, but usually it's very long and drawn out and it, it slowly progresses. But once you've set a precedent, nobody wants to go against the precedent, right? Even though it may not be in the uniform rules, it's a precedent that we don't do that. So we don't do that. It has the effect of law in that case. And they just basically took a leak on the entire Constitution and said, no, we're not going to let the other body have their say in this. It's take it or leave it. It's our way or the highway. And we're leaving, by the way. See ya. Oh, yeah. We heard that there were senators that already had their tickets uh, to Hawaii. And that if we did, if we refused um, what they were offering on that first day of session, that most of them would be gone. So there would be no working together until the very end, and they would come back, and it would be the same conversation. Right. They were going to leave, 
and they'd be back in the last three days of the special session to put you back exactly where you were before. And I would have said, go ahead, call that bluff. Because then you could say, we're down here ready to do the work, and they're off in Hawaii playing, doing whatever they're doing. They're playing games with people. I mean, turn the tables. They're playing games with people's lives and with the fiscal soundness of the state, and they're going to cause the shutdown. We're here ready to do the work, and they're not. But nobody wants to call them on that bluff. Nobody wanted to call them. Well, some did, but not enough (laughs) wanted to call them on that bluff. We have, we tried that before, and this year, for the first time, the media finally said, the Senate's not passing the budget. Right. Wow. Yeah. They were saying, are you looking for cooperation or capitulation? Um, Yes, capitulation. It would be nice. In fact, that's what Stephen said. Oh, it would be nice if they would agree. So you are looking for capitulation. I mean, I was really shocked when I saw some of the things that were being written, because usually they're so in lockstep with whatever the big government people want that, but even they were like, whoa, 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 wait a second. This is not how it normally, what? And yeah, it would have been, I think, I think, well, we can't we can't put the tube uh, the toothpaste back in the tube, but I think it would have been a very interesting discussion if they had if the house had held the line and we were still in day whatever this would be of the special session and you guys are down there waiting around twiddling your thumbs until somebody shows up because every day you could be banging the drum saying they're the ones that are going for the state shutdown because they don't want to do the work. But think about it. Uh, you know, Laskins do not like us in a special session. They think that we're just sitting down there, you know, playing beer pong, collecting per diem, which is not true. Uh, However, that's the narrative. And so the Senate still wins. Well, true, the true. But I mean, again, if I mean, again, let's get into the let's get into some technical nitty gritty, shall we? If the House was in special session, it was a special session for a conference committee of the House. That only means that really only what, eight people, maybe out of 40 have to remain in Juneau for that to occur because there's only six members of the conference committee. Give me two more bodies for whatever the rest of them can go home. They're not collecting per diem. They're not doing it. And you guys could have sat down there and staked out the territory for, you know, for the next 27 days or whatever. And then when the Senate came back, you're like, we've been waiting to do this the whole time. Where you been, you know, where you, but again, could have, would have, should have, it, 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 it's so infuriating, and I tried. I, I talked about this with with uh, with Ben in the last segment. So many people are bent out of shape about well, so many people on the conservative, smaller government, cut government side of the equation, which we've discovered over the last few years is really a minority of us Alaskans. Most people are happy to take the government lucre, um, but most of us are so frustrated and so upset about this that our own legislators, some in some cases our own representatives are doing this. And while I understand the justifications, because, you know, we, we've had discussions, we had Kevin McCabe on yesterday, he put out a letter as to why he voted. And while I understand the justifications that are used, again, the whole point to me came back to that defense of the process, because now what does next session look like? I mean, what does the next half of the session look like to you, Sarah? If they're going to hold back to the last five hours, what's the how? You guys transmitted your budget a month before the end of the session. So now do you hold your budget to the last five hours? Or 
We saw what happened before when those House was slow on their budget. What did the Senate do? Well, they created their own budget and then inserted it as a substitute. So does that really fix it if you hold on to it? Or does the House create their own capital budget to then? I mean, you know, this I mean, this becomes a hot, hot, uh, worse mess than than what we have now. I I think all of those questions are being asked is what's the best strategy, because, uh, you know, I don't. I think it's been at least four. Has it been four years that the House has gotten to vote on a capital budget? I think it's so, been yeah. such a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're kind of tired of that because uh, there are things that are important to us that we believe are, should be priorities in the capital budget. And uh, we're asking those questions is should we do what the Senate did and create our own? Hold on to the budget and say, are you willing to sit down at the table and have a conversation? Right. Uh, you know, it's, you're, I'm I'm just as cross-eyed over the disrespect of the process as you are. I mean, that it's so insulting. It is absolutely insulting to the Alaskan people that it's come to this, you know. Um, but what do you do? Because next year is an election year and people will want to get out on time because they'll have to be back pounding pavement and uh, people will be willing to do different things next year. Uh, but I do know that our finance members are are strategizing a different game because uh, they they were so insulted that their recommendations uh, their their work became recommendations that essentially got thrown in the garbage. Right. No. I mean, I heard that even uh, mild mannered Bryce Edgman lost his mind. Somebody told me he was working down there at one point because he just. I mean, he was upset uh with a body that normally people would say oh they're allies uh i understand that there was a lot of different uh there was a lot of anger flowing down there in juno uh going on right now um so no idea what this looks like ben just suggested i mean the governor do you know if the budget has been transmitted to the governor yet or not have you heard yes and the governor is considering vetoes however i don't know how heavy-handed his red pen will be, but he is considering them is what I've heard. I mean, there needs to be some significant vetoes because all this talk about a special session in October to discuss a fiscal plan, if there is no leverage, if there is no uh, if there is no pushback from the governor, he's the last line of defense. He's the last line in the sand on this. If there is no pushback from the governor on this, then again, it is just acquiescence. It is just complicity in what the Senate is doing. And he'll call that special session on uh, a long-term fiscal plan. And they're like, we're already done. Our long-term fiscal plan is 75-25. Suck it. Sorry. That's how it works. Um, about five years ago, I remember someone talking about that plan, don't you? Maybe. A time or two. A time or two. Uh, Let's see. I, I think my predecessor was pretty heavy on that one in an income tax. And that didn't work out for him. Yeah. So... You know, it's interesting that it's the same conversation. Oh, but you know what the yeah. difference is right now? Uh, there's no more the money. People are wearing down. Well, yeah, the people are wearing down, and there's no more money in the piggy bank. That's the other thing. Five years ago, there was still money in the CBR that they could kick that can down the road yet one more year. <laughs> now we're down to the nitty gritty. Now we're the nubbins. Now we're you know we're we're digging out the coins out of the couch cushions, trying to figure out how to pay for all this. And uh, the pressure on the PFD is more than ever before. And as you said, people are tired of the of the discussion. I 
you know, wear, wear, wear them down. Wear them down. That's what it's all about. Um, they're, they're all in it together, and they're all doing it on purpose. That was a button that a friend of mine had for many years. Turns out it may be true. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. Sarah Vance is our guest. We'll be back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. So be honest with me. That cup is full of Baileys, isn't it? I'm just saying. That's that's, that's what I'm feeling like today. <laughs> this cup is full of fine scotch whiskey. That's, that's how I'm feeling this morning. I mean, at that point, it is going to kind of drive me to drink because this is, it's madness. It really is madness that they just abrogate the entire system and then look at you and smile. And then as Ben pointed out this morning, this is not a bug. This is a feature. This is working as intended. The entire plan was to put enough pressure on everything to be able to to have a justification for taking the PFD and uh, and then take it in perpetuity to take it in its entirety. Uh, eventually, the seventy five twenty five. That's just a that's just a step, right? I mean, that's just a step uh, in the uh, in the in the right direction. They want to move this to permanently where it's going to be. That's all they're going to do. Uh, they'll just take the PFD and it'll be not. It'll be eighty five twenty. Then it'll be you know uh, or eighty twenty. Then it'll be eighty five fifteen. Then ninety ten. Then pretty soon it'll be well. We just got to take the whole thing. That you know because you want your services, don't you? I mean, and that's what it'll be. And then it'll be gone. And then two or three years later, as government grows, because. We know it's going to. I mean, it grows by a billion dollars every what seven years or something, just based on if they did nothing else and didn't even didn't even adjourn or didn't even come into session, the state budget would increase that much every year, one point five million a year for you know in ten years you'd have half a one and a half billion dollar increase. So it's got to come from somewhere. There's going to be taxes. There's going to be that's that's what's coming. Well. Taking the dividend has always been part of their plan. We've seen that and that it's working beautifully because the people are falling for it. They are they are believing the lie that you have to pit your dividend against government services. And that never should have been part of the conversation because the dividend had a separate path to be distributed right. Right. until the court case. Right. It was a transfer. It was never part of the conversation. It was a transfer. It was never part of the conversation. The size of our government should have been with our taxes and our economy and what our capacity for growth is. And and we believe the lie. We let them say, well, you know, do you want a dividend? Do you want a bigger dividend or do you want roads and schools? And we're still believing the lie. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, they're very insidious. I mean, I've been. I just. God damn. I damn. I just I am so tired of saying I told you so. I mean, I really am. And you think that that would make me feel all important and stuff. But I am so sick of telling people I told you so, because this is what I've been talking about for the last 25 freaking years, you know, all the way up to that whole when that first thing started happening, 
well, four or five years ago when they started making that argument of, well, do you want services or do you want the dividend? Oh, that's it's not that's a, that is a straw man argument. That is a straw man argument. One has nothing to do with the other. If you're going to grow the size of government, it should be done with the with the uh, advice and consent of the people. And they should be on the hook for it. Don't touch the dividend. Dividend something totally different. I mean, there's a special place in hell for Bill Walker for changing the way they accounted for that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because that just that that's what fouled up the whole thing from the very beginning. Uh, I'm just looking in the chat room. Brian said, yep, uh, I would be on every media platform. This is when we were talking about you being in special session and the senators wandering off in the pucker brush. Yeah, I would have been like, special session watch day 26. Where are the senators? I mean, you know. I'd have been pointed out every day on social media. We'd have been doing a countdown here on the show. Where is Bert Stedman? I don't know. Where is Gary Stevens? Take the tiki umbrella out of your drink and come back to Alaska. I mean, it would have been a whole. It would have been a whole deal. Uh, sorry, Sarah. I'm just. I'm a little wrapped up about this. Obviously, um, we're gonna. Uh, we'll continue here in just a second. And um, yep, that's it right there. We're close to it. All right, we will be back. Uh, we'll be back with more. Sarah Vance is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like it, share. And if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, why? Why haven't you? It's easy. Click subscribe, ring the bell, then come back to Facebook if that's that if that's better for you. All right, let's uh, let's do this. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the, uh, Michael Duke show. What? I didn't write that that way. He read it that... Man, I gotta get a new voice guy. Can't believe it. I am a pain in the, uh, something, though. The Michael Duke show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, state rep from down in the Homer area uh, talking about what happened at the end of the special session. She got me all riled up during the break, and now I'm like, uh, I'm so agitated by everything that's going on. So, Sarah, um, tell my people, tell my tribe here, the people who are listening, the people in the chat room who are so upset with their legislators for voting to concur. Um. <laughs> I, I I guess I don't want you to, I don't want, I'm not asking you to put, how, tell me your thoughts on that, I guess, is what I'm saying. How can we, you know, why is it okay that that happened? That's what I'm looking for. Why is it okay that that concurrence happened in your, in your mind? Now, you voted no, but tell me why. That's it's not okay. a very fair question. I know it's not. Why is it okay? I know, but I mean. Uh... This is I'm, you know, look, I said I said yesterday we had Kevin McCabe on uh, and, you know, God love him, proud of him for coming on and want to ask the questions. He took the hard questions. He did it. I still disagreed with his uh, with his response. I under here's the thing. You can intellectually understand the reasoning behind why he voted the way he did. You know, these projects that he was looking for and things like that. And he knows he's going to come back next year. And now he's put a question in their mind of whether or not they will. They will vote, you know, they will think that he will vote for it or against it. He's put, you know, I mean, yes, there's some strategic ideas and some things that are there. But again, the problem, the whole problem becomes is that you've 
broken the process. That's the thing. So even though I understand your reasoning, I still disagree with it. And so what's Sarah Vance's take on all that? Well, the process was broken a long time ago, Michael. You know this. And this is this this is the same play year after year. And um, you know, the Senate, namely Bert Stedman, uh, makes his play with a budget and he says, This is what we're gonna do. And the Senate says, or the House says, No, 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 no. No, we darn it, we get a place at the table. And he says, Yeah, mm, not really. So this is what we're gonna do. And he he just says no continuously. And the House says, Oh, but we'll we need to have a conversation in and he says okay we're ha we'll have a conversation and then we say well we want this and he says mm, no so <laughs> the the conversation doesn't change it's been this way since you know the for the 5 years that i've been there uh it just has a few new faces the same ones in the senate pretty much and uh the 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 reality is the pain would have been worse and uh, the Alaskan people would have been even more angry because they would have looked at how long we would have gone another unproductive special session that would have cost money to have us be there. Even when we're not there, there still has to be staff who are ready to work and, um, you know, cranky legislators taking another time out of their summer and away from their jobs. And it would have would not have produced any better results for Alaskans. And and I think that's why you saw so many House members say, let's just get it over with now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I understand that's their arguments. All what you just laid out is all of their arguments, and I understand that. But the victim in all this, and yes, the process has been broken in many ways. I mean, Bert Stedman is the Machiavellian architect from hell. I mean, that guy, you know, whether it's contingency things on votes or killing killing road projects if you don't vote for a thing the certain way or all these other things mm -hmm. that have happened over the last five years. Uh, I mean, he's a master manipulator in that regard. Uh, and while I, again, I understand their arguments of, well, you know, they don't like the special session and it still costs money and it's still going to have and it's still going to be a worse result. The thing is, at least you would have defended the process and not allowed the precedent mm -hmm. to be set. Because again, what's to stop them, Sarah Vance, what's to stop them from this next half of the session doing the same thing? What's to stop them from holding on to the budget to the last five hours? What's to, what's, what's to stop them from not only holding on to the capital budget, but creating their own operating budget and giving them both mm -hmm. to you and saying, take it or leave it. We're, we're leaving. Sweet well, lips. that's kind of what they do. And the other thing, uh, you know, I don't know if Ben talked about it, his his number one focus that, you know, for the past number of years has been a fiscal plan and getting us ha on that very serious and sober conversation about what it's going to take to right the ship, what it's going to take to get all these pieces in place. And we were very clear about that at the beginning. And we were told, well, you know, we just can't do that during the session with with a budget. Uh, that's just that's just too much. And, and there isn't there just isn't enough time. So we need to have a special session to talk about that. And I said, haven't haven't we fallen for this before? A couple of years ago, uh, when we were facing a government shutdown, when the House Republicans were saying we're not going to give, we're not going to let the Senate run over us. We're not going to play this game again. We are willing to to go right up to the edge 
and and see what what the Senate was willing to do with the House majority at the time. How serious were they? Because we wanted to have a conversation about a fiscal plan. And uh, and they said, well, tell you what. Uh, no government shutdown and we will have a f- create a fiscal policy working group. What do you know? No government shutdown. The House Republicans signed that that uh, sheet and they formed a fiscal policy working group. And that group did amazing work. I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised at the agreements that they made. I didn't like all of them. However, they came out with a really balanced plan. And here we are, two and a half years later, having the same, well, you know, we just, we just don't know if we can have enough time to talk about a fiscal plan. So we need to have a special session that we, we need to do that later. Same conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's the Lucy with the football. I'm going to hold it here for you. I'm going to hold it. Go ahead and kick it. I'm going to go. I'm going to hold it for you. Go ahead. I mean it this time. Uh, this whole thing has been just so much pain. So what do you think happens um, in the coming session? I mean, give me, you know, put on your turban, hold the envelope to your forehead and give me the whole Kreskin thing. What uh, what do you you know, what do you think it's going to look like? Do you do you want the Pollyanna version, <laughs> or do you want the? Uh... Can I have them both? I mean, give me the bad, give me okay. the, give me the bad news first, and then give me your Pollyanna okay. version on top of it. The bad news first is that nothing's going to change. That everyone will be looking to get past their personal legislation, and they'll be looking at passing a budget that is acceptable, a flat funded budget that they can get done quickly with the Senate, so they can get out on time <clears throat> and get back to campaigning. Right. Yeah. They want enough. Uh, Enough goodies to take home to say, see, I, I've done my job. Brought home the bacon. By sending me back. Yep. I brought home the bacon. Send me back. Yep. Brought home the bacon. Yep. See, isn't this, isn't this great? Uh, you know, and you can't blame us because Alaskans reward politicians who bring home the bacon. That's true. It's true. I mean, again, we're it's becoming more and more apparent to those of us who've been doing this for a long time. Uh, especially in the last five or six years, it's becoming more and more apparent that this smaller, more limited government breed of Alaskans is a vanishing breed. We are a minority. We are a, and we're not even really a strong minority anymore. I think people have given up hope because of this process. And, um, you know, part of the, the, the frustration that I've had is reading the news articles and hearing the narrative that's coming out of Juneau. And the one that's come out of Juneau all session is saying that we weren't able to come to an agreement on the budget because of the size of the dividend that the house Republicans were holding out for a larger dividend. Uh, if you were, if you spent any time talking with people in Juneau or in the halls of Juneau, you would find that that is not the case. The dividend was not the center of the conversation. Now there were those of us who were saying we need to follow the law. Let's start with that. Let's start there, shall we? Let's follow I mean, the law. Yeah, let's follow the law. It's not, uh, they've, but the narrative that's continuing to come out is that it's a, it's, it's everything, the fiscal plan, the whole thing against the size of the dividend. And that's simply not true. And I just want to put a warning out to the people. Uh, you're losing the battle because of your lack of engagement. The people who are winning, are the ones who are present. They're the ones having their, the conversation with their legislators on a regular basis. Uh, you know, they they are showing, hey, 
I want to be engaged. I'm going to be consistent right. and make sure that I'm holding you accountable, but they do it in a way that is friendly. Right. Well, and let's also acknowledge that there is a huge portion of special interests that is vested in maintaining and in keeping engaged in that process because they're in they're 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 receiving the government lucre in one form or another. So those special interests are also winning in this. The more we become disengaged, the more power the special interests have in that. All right, two minutes left in this segment. Give me the Pollyanna version of it, Susie Sunshine. Give me the Pollyanna version of this uh, right now. The Pollyanna version is that we are going to come together and do our homework during the interim. And uh, we're going to get serious and be united on what it is that we really want, what Alaska needs for a long-term fiscal plan and policy objectives. And we're going to figure out a plan on how to get there. That's something that Ben and I are serious about. We're going to look. Uh, he's also the chair of um, of LBNA, the Legislative Budget and Audit Committee, that has a lot of a lot of audits that show we need better management and a way to turn the ship that we could save millions upon millions of dollars in in better management and efficiency in government. That's true. Right. So by coming, doing our homework over interim, coming together having a plan, a better plan on how we can achieve these objectives at the beginning of session uh, will give better outcomes. And I think it's going to be doing that work ahead of time that we did not have an opportunity to do this last session. Okay. So reality version versus Pollyanna version, 50-50, 80-20, 90-10. What do you think? Give me a, give me Vegas odds on this. Vegas odds. Come on, I know you just. I mean, we got a twenty percent no, chance I, of that happening, or the what? Eighty twenty. Isn't that the reality that twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work? That's true. Eighty twenty is just about right. That's what I was going to call it. All right, Sarah Vance is our guest. We have one final segment dead ahead, and when we continue, we're going to talk about her committee. She's got a couple bills. I thought it was interesting. The uh, Alaska Beacon had an article the other day about bills that are still in play. Sarah Vance, she's dictatorially holding back some bills. She's stopping progress. Uh, we'll talk about those bills and more, and then anything else on Sarah's mind here before we run out of daylight. The Michael Duke Show, Comet Sheds, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Back with more after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Facebook Live. It's a series of tubes. Um... I don't know how you do it, Sarah. I mean, I would literally be in jail. I would just be like, you get a throat punch and you get a throat punch and you. And I know somebody in Juno is writing all this down as I speak right now. And they're saying, did you see that? He threatened us. He threatened a senator. Damn right I did. Um, Anyway, uh, this is so this is so insane. Just so crazy. (sighs) 
all right. So we're going to talk about when we get back to the radio, we're going to talk about your um, uh, your committees and the bills that you're currently holding. And uh, I should pull that article up so I can sound semi-intelligent when I talk about it. Um, but uh, so anyway, how's it been since you got back? I guess that's my uh, that should be my my next question. How's it been since you got back? What's going on? It's been good. Like I said, I've been purging my house. You know, when you're when you live in a world of chaos in Juno, where it feels like everything's out of control. Uh, I came home and I'm like, you know what? I I need some some peace. And uh, the word shalom actually means destroying the work of chaos. Right. That I'm just I'm right. that'll preach right there. And I was like, I I have too much stuff in my house. My daughter and I uh, started just going through clothes and toys and stuff that we asked, how did this get here? You know, and so we filled up her four door Jeep full and just made a contribution to a garage sale. And we're reorganizing the garage and the whole thing and and selling off furniture that I had big aspirations of reupholstering. And, um, (laughs) you know, where did this my husband will bring home like weird exercise equipment and put in the middle of the garage, you know, or we have like five bats, baseball bats, you know, I'm like, how how do we get this stuff? Right. And I was reflecting on, it's the same thing in the state government. How do we get all this stuff? Right. Where did this come from? As we look through the budget, who put this in there? Right. So I'm taking back a little bit of control. I'm doing the purge. And, uh, you know, just lightening the load a little bit because I need to be able to focus. I want to be the best that I can be to serve Alaskans. And I tell you, I told my husband last night, I said, you know, I've never been a swearing swearing woman, but I've come as close as I've ever been this year. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's that's good to know. I'm not alone. I mean, I'm I, I I I went right over the line, though. I didn't tiptoe up next to it. I went right over the line when that started to. Uh, to go on. But yeah, I, I feel your pain as far as we moved from, uh, we moved from Wasilla here. Uh, uh, my gosh, it's been, uh, almost nine years ago now. That's, that's how fast time flies. Um, and when we left the house, I was doing some remodeling anyway. So I brought, brought in one of those big 10 yard dumpsters, you know, but only about half of that got filled up with the demo from the house, from the remodel that we were doing. And the rest of it was just, junk like and then i took like seven loads in a trailer to the reuse site somebody else will get a use out of it but what it what was it oh i might need that one day oh i mean and maybe that's the old sourdough um you know the old sourdough upbringing in me because my you know my grandmother was they they didn't really get rid of anything because you may have a need for it kind of thing maybe that's what it was but i had so much junk in my place that i was like oh one day i'll use that i might need that i i no, you're right. It was so great. And here we are nine years later. And my wife's like, we've got to purge this, this place again. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't take long to start to collect crap that you just don't ever need anymore, right? Well, that's that's uh, kind of a mindset in state government. And uh, we did pass a bill, uh, Senator Kaufman's bill, that eliminated some accounts that just aren't needed anymore. It's It's low-hanging fruit, but it's something. And it's uh, a mentality that he's trying to get people to have a conversation about of looking at what do we need? Why are we doing this? And uh, we'll see it. We need to continue that conversation uh, because we try to do so many things that we're not good at 
any one thing anymore. Right. And um, Alaskans are feeling that, you know, with our healthcare, with education, the two largest areas of the budget, we're trying to do everything instead of just focusing on, on a few really good things. And, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of time to, to contemplate, you know, the weightier matters in life as I'm tossing stuff out of my garage. Uh, but there's, a, I, I just don't want to think about it. And yeah. I, I try not to think about it <laughs> to take a break from the legislature, I but know. I just can't help myself. Just keeps coming you know? back, doesn't it? Just, it's like a bad penny, just keeps turning up. Well, uh, I guess this is where I exhort people to don't grow weary in well-doing. But I think many I think many of us have. I think I agree. I mean, we had the lowest voter turnout in 30 years this last time. I think a lot of that had to do with, well, partially confusion on ranked choice voting. But the second part was as many people out there just was like, screw it. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight that battle anymore. And that's unfortunate. All right. Sarah Vance. Um, Let's get to it. Final segment of the show. It's going to be dynamite. Stick around. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Okay, one final segment here on the program. I couldn't find the article. I don't know why it's not showing up for me. But anyway, it was it just I had to laugh because the article's theme, uh, we were talking about it right before the break. Uh, I think it was in the Alaska Beacon, talking about some of the bills that were still essentially on the table, right? I mean, they're, 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 they didn't get finished in the first half of the session. So now they're going to get finished in the last half of the session. And uh, or maybe, maybe not. Uh, and what I had to do, I had to laugh because a couple of those bills are in committees uh, that uh, are chaired by Sarah Vance. And the tone of the article was, my God, she's she's holding up progress. How could you do that? I just, that's un-American kind of. I mean, it was like, no, that's the problem. When it happens on the other side, you don't say anything. But when Sarah holds something up, oh, it's a problem. You know what I mean? Uh, that's called the prerogative of leadership. Um, so, Sarah. Let's talk about some of the bills that uh, have been held up in your committee and, you know, what what their ultimate fates are. Uh, what, what's what's happening here uh, in your committees? Oh, well, there's a lot happening in my committees. I I I love talking about policy. You know, yeah. you talk about the fiscal plan. That's Ben's wheelhouse. He lives, eats, breathes it. Uh, you know, I enjoy the policy and uh, tell you what, chairing two committees I had um, one of our our freshman finance members who's been working really hard. She came and saw me at lunch one day and uh, during lunchtime, let me specify. And she goes, when is your walk around time? I go, walk around time? What are you talking about? She goes, we're, you know, you can walk around to other offices and see how they're doing and talk about your legislation. And I said, I don't get that. <laughs> I have no walk around time. Uh, you know, I... Um, chairing uh, House Judiciary and Fisheries had a lot of work to do, but I also had my own personal legislation that uh, I was working on, and, and several of which did come to my committee and are there. And one of them is highly controversial, apparently, is to repeal ranked choice voting. 
And, uh, and that uh, I did pass out of my committee. I have several other election reform bills, but I, I do have some of the hot bills. I have, uh, I have the governor's parental rights bill. Right. I have uh, Jenny Armstrong's LGBTQ bill. Right. I have. Um, wait, 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 wait. That's not, that's not possible because I was told that the Senate was not going to take up any controversial bills what? this year. That's what I heard. I heard that. What? I heard that in the beginning. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Interesting. I know. They, didn't they hear that? They said in, that. Um, they said that early on. No, no controversial bills this theirs? year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And let's see, I have uh, SB 53, which is the involuntary commitment bill. I have uh, Rauscher's judicial reform bill. Um, I did move out two of the governor's crime bills. Very proud of the work we did on that. Uh, we did pass one out of the House, which is the um, the controlled substances, the drug bill, uh, often referred to as a fentanyl bill, and uh, passed uh the trafficking bill is in finance, um, passed the, spend, the constitutional spending cap out of judiciary. I have I have quite a few hot bills still that are on simmer in my right. committee. Right. And uh, I have a lot of homework to do for sure because um, the claim is that I'm sitting on bills. Yeah, and well, that is simply not true. The ADN has an article that was similar to the Beacons. It basically said, Sarah Vance from Homer refused to schedule the bill for a hearing. This is House HB 99, the LGBTQ bill. Refused to schedule the bill for a hearing. And an effort by the bill sponsor, Jenny Armstrong, to force a measure out of the committee failed. Uh, which, <clears throat> oops. Uh, you know, so, uh, I mean, this bill is a hot mess, quite honestly. Uh, and, and, and already... These are things that are already covered by federal law. Why do we need to have state, you know, uh, another layer of state bureaucratic bureaucratic law on top of stuff that's already covered by federal law? I mean, that's my question. Well, there's uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people want it to be statutory um, in in the state, but um, several of the the journalists in these articles, whether it's um, the Juno Empire or Alaska Beacon are saying that I refuse to hold a hearing on it. I've never refused to hear any bill in my committee. I am not that chairman because I respect the process. So uh, that's just a flat out lie. I'm going right. to I'm going to call it a lie because they never asked. And I I've never even told my staff that I would refuse to hear a bill. I don't play that way. Right. I respect the process and every legislator's ability to bring forth a bill. So um, if there's anything that gets my blood boiling, it's that, um, you know, I, I could I could go on for a long time about the media being interested in the truth. But oh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that was just I'm sure they just interviewed Jenny and that was the quote that they got out of it. It was that she you refused to, to hear the bill. Well, because it sailed through the other committees, uh, they expected that it was going to sail through mine. But I have priorities and uh, there are important things like election reform that I'm going to work on, like the other crime bills that I'm going to work on. There's been things that um, we've been working on for a number of years are trying to have a relevant conversation. And we finally get the opportunity to do that this year. So I have to prioritize the bills that are in my committee. And um, judiciary is a weighty committee. So uh, I, I want people to keep that in mind is that not every bill is going to be heard or um, moved 
I, I hope to he hear every bill, but not every bill is going to be moved because the legislature submits over 200 bills. Right. Why in the world would you want us to do that? Right. No, <clears throat> it happens. Uh, but that's that's interesting. What are you looking forward to most in the uh, we're down to the last four minutes here. What are you looking forward to most here in the upcoming session? Uh, I mean, I guess in the interim, you're looking forward to some peace and quiet. But what's uh, what's the upcoming session or potential special session bring for you? During the special session, I'm hoping that we are able to have uh, not only have a, a relevant and meaningful conversation about a fiscal plan, but I'm hoping that we can pass a constitutional amendment that secures the dividend. It is rightfully it re rightfully belongs to the people, but we have to have it enshrined in the Constitution um, because the legislature is going to continue to ignore it and do what they want. And that's been proven. I was not adamant about the dividend in the Constitution for a number of years um, because I just wasn't sure how it should look. Uh, but I believe that that is something that we need to focus on in this next special session. But we cannot do it without the people. We, we cannot. We, can, we have to have your engagement right. and your voice because otherwise Juno will dictate what it's going to look like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that has been sucking up all the oxygen in the room. And even when it hasn't, like in this last session, although the other side kept saying that's what you guys were standing strong on, uh, I didn't hear nearly the conversation around the PFD that I have in the previous two or three years. And so, but once we take that off the table, we've also nipped in the bud this plan to try and basically turn the PFD into the state's piggy bank to be able to spend as they want. Then they will be forced to the realization that, you know, we have a, we, we have a problem, right? I mean, because even if they got their way and the 75-25 became the 100% for government, that's a short-term, that's a self-licking lollipop. I mean, that thing will be done in no time. It'll be three years and they'll be back with their hands out again saying we need even more. So if we take the, the PFD off the table, it will force them to look at all the other options that are on the plate, right? Well, that's that's the hope. But um, I don't know that 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 we'll be able to find um, truly be able to get it off the plate. Um, but, you know, just it depends on how we put it in the Constitution. And that's where the people need to be engaged. All right. Final thoughts here, Sarah Vance, uh, as we gave able to wrap up here, what can, how can we stay engaged in your mind, in your opinion, if you're addressing a group of folks, you know, that are saying we, you know, we're frustrated, we want to throw our hands up, but we're not going, you know, how do we, how do we do it? What's the best way and the most effective way for us as listeners, as Alaskans to stay engaged in the process over the interim and then going into the special session and the regular session? Well, over the interim, you have uh, every opportunity to personally engage with your legislators, with your representatives and your senators on a personal level because they're back home. They are in district. Uh, I do recommend right now giving them a little break. They they need they need some time to reconnect with their family and what's important. Uh, the, the conversation will go a lot better for you if you do. Uh, we're, we're still pretty cranky, but, uh, you know, just make it personal. Your, your representatives, um, I would I would dare say that most of them really do care. And when you, when you engage with them on a personal level and uh, and keep that relationship going, it's it's going to pay off because I have fishermen who will call me and uh, and 
And I always call them back because they're consistent and they yell at me and they tell me what they think. And, and this particular fisherman actually campaigned against me in the last election. And he, on election day, he was out holding a sign for my opponent, but I care about him and I'm always going to fight for the fishery. And so he'll call and yell at what he's mad about. And I call him back because there's a personal relationship and we care about the same things. And so when you do that, it, that's what we carry with us to Juno. That's what we think about because we know you're going to be there when it really counts and holding us accountable and making sure that um, that we're speaking your voice. I can't overstate that enough. I know it sounds like the same old thing, but that's that's what is really important when it comes time for legislators making decisions in Juno. And you think with a 67% raise that they'd be happy to engage with you, right? I mean... Somebody just said that in the chat room. Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Sarah Vance, thank you so much for coming on board. Folks, tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Don't forget this Saturday, I will be emceeing the Bear Creek Music Festival, supporting the uh, Kids Scholarship Fund down there in Homer. I hope you get a come uh, chance to come out, say hi, and enjoy some great music and support a great cause. We'll be back tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Bay's Free Thinking Radio. Be kind. Love one another, live well. Final, final, what do you mean that was nasty? I just was stating the obvious, a 67% pay raise, they should be delighted. This is what Gail said, I was just paraphrasing Gail. A 67% pay raise, our legislators should be delighted to engage. Yes, you'd think they'd be like, how can we do that? Uh, Sarah Vance, I give you the last word here this morning. Go out and enjoy the sunshine. Stop thinking about politics for just a little bit. And remember that you're <laughs> right? right. Just a little bit. I know, just a little bit. Uh, you know, we need to do what Alaskans do best. And that's come together when we need each other the most. Yeah. No. And uh, I think we can do that for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I will forget about politics the minute this show turns off because I'll be going on to doing other stuff. That's that's how I've learned to survive these days. I only spend about three hours a day instead of eight hours a day as I used to. Sarah Vance, uh, enjoy yourself. Go find, does this bring me joy? No. Keep Just, keep, <laughs> just go pitch some stuff out and uh, feel better about it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate it. Have a great drive down to your favorite place on earth, Michael. That's right. I'm going to be there. Thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that takes us uh, to the end of the show today. I got to go. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show